Friends, football is back, which means fantasy football is back as well. And that means it's time for FanDuel. Look, ambivalence about football, we've been there. I've been there. I get it. Totally get it. But fantasy football, different, more fun. And FanDuel makes it more fun still. It's fantasy football for everyday fans. New contests starting every week and no busted seasons. And there's so many contests to choose from. You could start at a buck. You pick a contest, choose your team. Watch your score real time. It's fun. It's easy. And yeah, spices things up a little bit in the league of Roger Goodell, if you will. Uh, more than two and a half million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. And you can sign up today very easily. You go to FanDuel.com and you click the Join Now button and then use the promo code Jonah. That's J-O-N-A-H. Again, FanDuel. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Click the Join Now button. Use the promo code Jonah, and there you go. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with more than $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. So again, FanDuel.com. Sign up with promo code Jonah. Thank you to FanDuel for sponsoring the podcast. And hey, this edition of the Jonah Carey Podcast is with Joe Block. Joe Block, play-by-play man for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I got a chance to go to Pittsburgh recently. And Joe and I had talked about this for a long time. I mean, we've become friends over the years, which is really cool. And we just said, hey, we should do a podcast. And oh, I'd see him in City X. And yeah, how what are you up to? How's the family? This, that. We just wouldn't sit down for an hour and do it. And we finally did it. And it's great. And Joe is one of the grinders, man. Uh, you know, I think that you get this sense in whatever industry that you're in, but it's so hard. It's so darn hard to make headway and become a play-by-play man in Major League Baseball. I mean, the same way that it's hard to make a roster, how many of these jobs are available? You got TV and radio. Well, by my calculations, that's 60 of them, and that's it. And Joe made it and just uh, really paid his dues and improved his craft and did such a good job over the years. Actually got his his start. This is going to shock you. Uh, got his start, his first Major League game, well, he had done minor leagues for many years, but his first major league game was calling a Montreal Expos game toward the end of the franchise's history. He actually did it with my friend Elliot Price and a very valuable experience and has made a name for himself as the voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates and is fantastic. Great, great dude, too. Uh, we talked about baseball in general. We talked about broadcasting and just some cool life philosophy. Very affirming. I felt better after talking to Joe. Uh, so, yeah, I really hope that you enjoy uh, that conversation. Some quick programming notes here. Uh, we have got, uh, gosh, let's see, this is a busy week. So, uh, at the athletic, you will find my column on the race to the bottom of the league. That's the Phillies, White Sox and Giants all separated by a couple of games. And, uh, I had some fun with it. Listen, I mean, whatever, it's not denigrating any of these teams specifically. They're having rough seasons or whatever, but it's interesting to see the history of major league baseball and how that goes. We think about the best record so often, the worst record of course can lead to the number one pick. And then in the past, the rules used to be different. So the number one, if you had the worst record, didn't automatically assure you the number one pick. It depended on these arcane things and whatever. So got into all that. I think it's a uh, one that you will enjoy and, uh, distributed wide through the athletics. So you can read it on the athletic San Francisco, the athletic Chicago, the athletic Toronto, which which is where I'm kind of based when it comes to the athletic, just kind of spread wide. So do check that out. Uh, speaking of Toronto, I've also got a piece at sportsnet.ca that'll be coming out this week, which should be fun. And uh, also the 30 at si.com. Uh, that's my weekly, uh, bi-weekly power rankings. And the bread and butter, friends, CBS Sports. Every Friday, you will find Carry the 10, my column there, including this podcast as well appears on CBS Sports, and uh, I love CBS. Shout out to everybody over there. Tough times recently, obviously, with Hurricane Irma. Uh, our office is in Fort Lauderdale, and everybody was forced to relocate. But uh, Serge and Igor and Scott and RJ and everybody else, uh, everybody's safe. Thank goodness. And, uh, yeah, 
the the beat goes on when it comes to work. They did things from other cities, and I just want to say how much I appreciate uh, my bosses there at CBS. They are fantastic. They've treated me so, so well, which is nice. I hope that all of you out there, no matter what it is that you do for a living, uh, get that same kind of treatment because it is a really nice thing. Let us also discuss another sponsor. Hey, friends, it's SeatGeek. Wow, SeatGeek has been around for a while now. Uh, sponsoring this podcast. So grateful to them. Going back to the Grandland days and the Nerdist days and now here at CBS. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts, is, it can be a pain in the ass and expensive and whatever. SeatGeek's the best. I've used SeatGeek myself so many times. It is by far the best place to get tickets to anything you could possibly want. Concert, game, what have you. Uh, I've used them for hockey games. I've used them for baseball games. I've used them for concerts. It's, it's great. Color-coded map, nice and dorky, but also easy to use. Hey, you want to go to a baseball game? Look, the best seats are on the first baseline or behind home plate or in the bleachers or on the upper deck. You can find out in two seconds. Makes it so, so easy to pick the tickets that you want to the games that you want at the prices that you want in the seats that you exactly want. It is fantastic and so easy to use. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app. You enter the promo code Jonah today. That's J-O-N-A-H. And SeatGeek will give you $20 off of your first purchase. You just Put in your order, and then as soon as it's done, $20 rebate coming your way just by using the promo code Jonah. Again, that's for $20 off of your free first SeatGeek purchase, too, no matter what it is that you're going to. Again, concert, festival, game, whatever. SeatGeek has got it all. The other places, pleh, garbage. You know those uh, ticket consolidators I'm talking about? They are bad. SeatGeek is good. Support SeatGeek. Get the SeatGeek app. Get it going today. And thank you to SeatGeek for sponsoring the podcast. And here is the latest edition of the Jonah Carey podcast. It is with Joe Block, play-by-play man for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Enjoy. No, no, I, this, well, we already started. I'm just trying to make you defensive. So it's a very lazy day for me. So. It is, and it's like, as you said, gorillas in the mist uh, here in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Somewhere. So this is my first time back here in 20 years. That's Well, welcome back. Thank you. This is such a great I place. I really like Pittsburgh. It's yeah. just very pretty. You know, you come... I know it's a cliche. People who live here know this, but when you come through the tunnel on 376 and you come out, it's like, wow! Yeah. And I've done it before, and I'm still wow. And I think if you lived here, you'd be wow. Yeah, there's not a lot of times where you can get wowed. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the topography of, you know, I mean, L.A. has very cool mm -hmm. hills and everything, but there's not that just one, you're driving in through Ontario or whatever, you know, and you just see it forever, you know, but here it's just like, boop, there it is, you know, but Pittsburgh. It's and you, I mean, we're going to get to the whole journey and all that stuff, but... Um, is it the kind of thing in this business where obviously you're trying to get the any job? You know, what, it's thirty jobs basically, yeah. or maybe sixty if you count TV and radio. But in your mind, are you like, all right, don't let it be City X, and I really hope it's City Y? Like when when it became obvious that it was Pittsburgh was a possibility, was it yes Pittsburgh? Yes. Or was it yeah yeah yeah? This is my absolute hundred percent dream job. Like that's um, great. It's kind of goofy because well, first of all, my wife grew up here, so yes, so that plus. made it you know that. 
was the you know a big part of the lure raising a family and all that stuff right. your family wife's family still here yeah yeah everybody i mean everybody that's you know great. grandma and grandma and pap are here and everybody you know that's awesome all the way on down so uh that was a big lure but also um you know i i used to come here for spring break in high school really so to pittsburgh yeah not daytona or whatever no well i couldn't afford it anyway i wasn't <laughs> cool enough what would i do that? i'd probably just pass out detroit okay. so uh, so it was a short drive. Uh, so me and my best friend would come down here, and we would uh, we we couldn't get into Wings games. You just couldn't buy tickets or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. so we became Pens fans. Cool. And this is you know Lemieux, Yager, Ronnie Francis. Oh, like, gee, kinda, yeah. Kind of stuff Stevens. going on. Yeah, Kevin Stevens, yeah. and uh, you know all those guys. So so we just thought the Pens were the coolest, and we would come down here and go to the old igloo, the big you know. Seven yeah. And you know. Our parents would let us. We were like 16 and just let us stay in a hotel by ourselves, just me and him, and we're, we're good kids, you know. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. So I always had a love for Pittsburgh, and uh, the combination of those two things made it real easy. So I think my yeah. favorite movie scene of all time, of all time. Oh, I, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I'm sure you do know what I'm going to say. Jean-Claude? Jean-Claude <laughs> in the movie Sudden Death fighting the Penguin's mascot. And the Penguin's mascot is fierce, man. I mean, like, flat out wants to kill him. And Jean-Claude finally dispatches with the mascot and ends in a fatality. And it's... They had to know that it was both funny and... It was badass, but it was also very funny. I mean, Iceberg is, like, the nicest... Ma- like, you know, there are some mascots yeah. that you kind of go, oh, they creep out small kids, but, like... It's just, like, a like, big, fluffy face. He's the dopiest, nicest, <laughs> you know. You know, my, my little daughter, we have a little bobblehead Iceberg. She's, yeah. She's always, like, pointing at it and wants to t- hold it and play with it and stuff, so... It's, like, the nicest thing, but f- for Iceberg to get in a fight with... Jean-Claude. A fight to the death with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Come on. Like, that's crazy. I love that you knew what this was. Yeah, I was like, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. Well, we were talking about Pittsburgh as like a cultural touchstone, too. We were flying in, and my wife was saying, how many bands, like, of note are from Pittsburgh? Like, because Pittsburgh is like a a solid mid-sized city, and on the music side, not much. Of the bands that I'd heard of, there was Rusted Root and Anti-Flag. Those are the two. And they're totally different kinds of music. And there were other bands, but I just hadn't heard of any of them. And it seems that this part of Pennsylvania, there's something in the water for quarterbacks. Yes. <laughs> and athletes, but maybe, maybe for other kinds of art, too, but not music. I, I don't know. It's just like it's an interesting, like, where do you place Pittsburgh in the tableau of America in terms of cultural influence and all that stuff? It's hard to say, I guess. Maybe it's own, it's its own self-contained thing, and that's good enough. I don't know. I think it's coming. Um, yeah. Because, and, and I'm not connected to the music scene or anything. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, I mean, I'm practically 40. And We're I'm, dads, yes, yes. Yeah, I live in the suburbs now. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I think what's what's cool about Pittsburgh, mostly observed as an outsider, is that the cultural and artistic segment mm-hmm. is really, you know, the education sector here, too. Like, that has kind of replaced the, the steel mills and, and yeah. you know and and the, the manufacturing that was gonna leave it was gone. So what are you gonna put here? So there was already that kind of you know the, the all the education uh, with all the different universities, colleges and everything. So that was there, but then they started to embrace that more and, and really play up the arts and, and things like that. And so it seems that um, you know maybe the best is yet to come here, you know. Yeah, well, I'm staying in Shadyside, and that's where Carnegie Mellon is, it's where Pitt is, and all this stuff, and it's just, you can see it, there's just so many young people, students, people living, or maybe they're in their 20s, and they've moved into the apartment nearby, or whatever, and you could just tell that it's up and coming in a cool way, I mean, living in Denver, 
it's like one of the it city or Denver, or maybe Austin's already past this point. I don't know, <laughs> but you could sort of see it coming with Pittsburgh a little bit too. That it's like, oh yeah, you could afford to live here. Number one, number two, it's, it's cool and interesting, and it's pretty, and there's just a lot to do. And uh, it seems to be coming in that direction, which is which is heartening. And my, the back of my mind, I'm always like sizing up a place. I'm like. Can I do this? Can I live here? Can I? And and uh, and yeah, I think the answer is yeah. Yeah, I got a buddy uh, from college uh, who grew up uh, between Michigan and Oregon, and, mm-hmm. and he ended up uh, he and his wife, and they have a little one. They they ended up staying here. So yeah, um, you know, I I lived in L.A. for a year, and right when my wife and I got married, we lived in L.A. for a year, and we just didn't like it was so busy. You know, we're, we're simple Midwestern people that just you know want, want to be able to go to a Target and park. You know, like, you know, not right, have to so go up the CIA six would foot. have us believe. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to go up, like, six six stories in a parking yeah. ramp or whatever, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, but we loved, you know, the hills and the hiking, and it was mm-hmm. just pretty. It's so beautiful in, in so many different places of L.A., but you get that here, I think, because there's so much green space. You can't build on a, you know, 40-degree angle. Right. You know, so you end up having more green space than any other city here. Yeah. And all the beautiful hills and stuff. And I sound like I'm from the convention. No, it's great. Europe, well, so, and, yeah. it's funny. First of all, my Lyft driver was like the most interesting guy I've ever met in my life. And Did we they talking... do away with the mustaches on the front of the, the Lyft? Uh, no, the mustache was still there, but I don't oh. know if it exists in all the cars. In this case, it was not in the car. It was on the like on the dash. But he was talking about, yeah, he's like, um, how did he describe it? He, he works in theology, basically. And he was talking about... Then he moved to Romania, and so I started in, and I said, well, I used to travel a fair bit, and I went to Budapest, and Budapest is the prettiest city I've ever been to, and Pittsburgh reminds me of Budapest, because it's got, like, the big green hill on one side, and then the city's kind of on the other, and, I mean, Budapest is one of my favorite, I'm also Hungarian of descent and stuff like that, so I have this warm spot, so I, I don't know, I mean, maybe I've, I've convinced myself of the highest compliment possible, and I feel like the food is the same, now I'm excited to, like, scope out, okay, where can we get the Eastern European food, like, where can I get the proper pierogies, where can, I, that's what I need to do. We need some pierogies and goulash. Goulash, and, yes. And just put that together, right, and then it'd be have perfect. The, the two cities. So, so you grew up in Detroit, and you became a broadcaster. Is this all Ernie Harwell's doing? Is that what it comes down to? I mean, he was, he turned out to be a, a bigger part of my life than I ever would have imagined. How so? Well, um, you know, obviously listening to him growing mm-hmm. up, but then I got to meet him one time. We would go, uh, I went to Michigan State, so it was about an hour and a half drive to Detroit. And buddies and stuff, we'd, you know, as soon as baseball season would start up, we would drive down, go to games. And back then at Tiger Stadium, there were a lot, the Tigers were allowed. My single favorite stadium of all time. Oh, really? Yes. Old or new? Really? My favorite. We'll get to there's, that. There is more to, to like about you every uh, time. We'll yeah, get to that in a second. Where I want to try to stay on track, uh, but yes, I yes. Love it. But there is a track to this. Oh wow, <laughs> not really. Okay, all right, great. Yeah. So, but uh, you could go up and sit in the upper deck center field bleachers. Yes, there were center field bleachers. Yes, there was an upper that's deck. Right. It's like the rock pile for a right. dollar. And so, you know, college kids that sound very enticing. It was like mm-hmm. dollar dollar beers or something. And someone had a fake, so we were all right. So, knowing your age, this puts it at about 1998. Yeah, right after I went to Tiger Stadium. Yeah, there were some bad Tigers teams. Bad. Bobby Higgins, Bobby Higginson was like the, the star. Yes, like Tony, he was okay. Yeah, Tony Clark was coming up. He was pretty good. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, it was like that was you know there I was, couldn't name one pitcher. That was, was not a good pitching staff. How long do we have here? Oh, let's go. I want to all the the pitchers for the 98 Tigers. Brian Williams, I think, started the uh, opener in 98 for Detroit. Wow. Yeah. And now uh, he's a great career in journalism. Yes. Uh, Different guy. But so we would go to these, and I look down some, you know, early in the game, and I see a 
older gentleman, and I go, that looks like Ernie Harwell, you know, kind of keeping score and things like that. He, uh, and sure enough, I, I crawl down there, and it's him. It's, you know, he's sitting there keeping score during a game. Now, this is the, at the time where he was kind of in limbo through most of the 90s because he was fired by Bo Schembechler, uh, you know, and then, and then once uh, Mike Illich, you know, bought the team, then he tried to get Ernie back as much as he could until all the contracts expired. So, so he wasn't doing all the games at that point. So He's just hanging. Yeah, so the games he wasn't doing, you know, it was a day game. He, he came to the ballpark, he keeps score for a few innings, and then uh, as he described it, he said, you know, I got to get back to Lulu, and, you know, she's going to cook dinner. Or it's whatever, from another you know. time. Who talks like that? Yeah, I love like, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was just... He couldn't have been more gracious. And, you know, he let, let me ask him some questions about broadcasting and, and how he kept score and everything like Were that. Were you studying during, uh, broadcasting? In, yeah, very much. Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. So I wasn't really doing anything yet, but yeah. I was on the on the cusp of, you know, doing things. And and he gave me his phone number and said, you can oh call me anytime, you know. Call me anytime. Okay. And so over the, over the years, you know, once I graduated, maybe a year or two after that, uh-huh. and I started working in minor league baseball, yeah. I would send him tapes or CDs. Wow. He would critique them. We would get together at least once a year, and then I then I moved to Minnesota. Yeah, worked for St. Paul Saints, and so you know, Tigers would come to the, play the Twins all the time. So I'd always see him at least once in Minnesota too. And you know, this is not a unique story. About I mean, there were a lot of young broadcasters that he mentored for years and years and years, generations of, of broadcasters, um, especially in Michigan. You know, and um, so he took time. And one story I like to tell is that yeah. Um, I would come home for Christmas every year. I was, I think I was living in Jacksonville, Florida at that time. And, uh, I said, you know, Hey, is there any time you could get together? And I mentioned a day he was busy. I mentioned another time he was busy. He's like, how about on uh, the 24th? That's Christmas Eve. He goes, well, uh, you know, noon or one or like, wait, it's one o'clock on Christmas Eve. And (laughs) just coffee though, you know, so I was like, okay, all right, fine. You know, so, I mean, we got together, you know, for a couple of hours, I think on Christmas Eve day, you know, just to, and he would just talk baseball and give me really good tips I still use. Like what? Um, he's, he would say, like, you know, batting 300 on the year. Don't say on the year. We know it's, you know, three. We're talking about this season. Or um, that's, the, that's the one that always sticks out. Like an economy uh, of words. Right, yeah. Be, con- be concise with your words. Which be is Vin, which is callous, which is all the legends. Yeah, be, you know, word choice is so yeah. important. We, you know, we would talk about that, that kind of stuff. I mean, really break down uh, some things like that. You know, the, you know uh, always repeating um, the situation, you know, tell us, uh, you know, they're two people are tuning in every, every few seconds, yeah. you know, so keep <laughs> recapping what's going on. You can never recap too much. Um, you know, keep telling the stories of, of the players, things like that. So, you know, and, and that brought to life his play by play for me because, you know, I just listened as a fan. I didn't really think about the nuts and bolts of it. And then now I'm becoming a broadcaster. And I'm listening to him and I go, wow. I've gained another level of appreciation yeah. for how good Ernie Harwell was on the radio. So, so that in, just enhanced my love of wanting to do this. I always wanted to, but then I really wanted to do it because of Ernie, um, because of his tutelage, really. So, there are about eighty follow-up questions from that <laughs> section, but yeah. uh, I want to go to Tiger Stadium for a second. So, and I told you the last time I went to Pittsburgh. I don't know if I told the story on the podcast. I told you the story, but last time I went, I used to go on these road trips when I was in college with my buddies. And also my girlfriend who became my wife. And, uh, well, so we're the tail end of that anyway. And we went to, uh, Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit. We just kind of started Montreal, go to Toronto, and then kind of fan out from there. And we went to Pittsburgh one year. 
And uh, we were there at Three Rivers Stadium, 1997, and Vladimir Guerrero was the right fielder for the Expos. Jason Kendall comes up in the ninth inning, down one run, and hits a, like, well, a Kendall hit. Like, just kind of off the end of the bat, hits the right field. And uh, one run? Two runs. They were down two runs. And everybody in the stadium uh, stands up because they know it's, they're getting excited because it's going to be a throw to the plate and either the tight run is going to score or not. And uh, Vladimir Guerrero winds up. And we're like, yes, yes, he's going to get him up. And he airmails the catcher by 30 feet, and that allows that run, and the other runs to score, and that's game over. That's the last time I've been to Pittsburgh. And um, so anyway, so one of the road trips we did was to Detroit, and that was, I think, maybe the same road trip. It might have been because Pittsburgh and Detroit are not that far. It sounds right. I think it was 97, and we went on the 4th of July. <laughs> and I'd never been. I'd been to Wrigley and Fenway. I think I'd hit them both up by that point, but not Tiger Stadium. And I remember thinking that even though they were all built in the same era, Tiger Stadium felt 70 years older than the other ones. Even, this is silly, but even going to the bathroom, the pipes in the walls <laughs> are the same pipes from 1908 or whatever. There was just something untouched about it. Fenway hadn't been renovated the way that it is now, and neither had Wrigley, I guess. But Tiger just felt so different. And we sat, we didn't sit in the center field bleachers, we sat... Right field under the overhead. Oh, that's we were great. first row next to the foul pole at the field oh, level. Oh wow! Which just because there was no internet, we just I called up somebody and got the tickets and had them arranged for the seven of us or whatever that was, and that's where we ended up sitting. And it was awesome. <laughs> and the Tigers were terrible. Whoever they were playing was terrible. It wasn't a good game. And it was just the best. And I still I remember thinking about the outside of the stadium too, and how when you're at Wrigley, it's a kid that's Wrigley. The outside of Tiger Stadium wasn't pretty or anything like that, but just felt old in the best possible way. And you were talking about Ernie Harwell with I Gotta Get Home to Lulu. <laughs> I feel like I was born in the wrong generation. I love the old timey <laughs> stuff. I can't get enough of the old stories and the old stadiums and 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 uh, as much as PNC and Camden Yards and all that stuff, I just, I'm such a sucker for the old parks. And yeah, Tiger did it for me. How often did you as a kid, did you get over there? Were you there all the time? You just like you and your buddies. Here's a buck, and we just pop over. Or was what was the deal? More as a teenager and a same young yeah. adult. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, my parents, they did not really care about baseball. Really? So, yeah. The first baseball game I went to, my great grandmother took me to baseball. Awesome. She, she was the most you know baseball. Who, uh, and my great grandpa who had just passed away, but. Um, uh, they were kind of the the baseball people in my family. So I'm doing math. Did she ever see Ty Cobb? Uh, Greenberg, uh, yes. Greenberg, yes, absolutely. Greenberg, she was born in 14, 1914. So, okay, okay. So I was thinking, you know, Cobb might have been maybe, you know, right. Yeah, at, yeah. Uh, in the 20s, there possibly. The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg, by the way, one of the best movies of all time. You ever seen that? I haven't. It's a little documentary made by a woman named Aviva Kempner. When I was living in Washington D.C., I was business friendly with her brother. Her brother said, you should go see this documentary called The Life and Times of Hank Greenberg. I have one poster in my house. It is the movie poster from The Life of Times of Hank Greenberg. Wow. And it's all about his the Judaism stuff and yeah. his influence on the Jewish people and the war and his and how good he was, all that stuff. Especially as a Detroit guy. Go see it. Anyway, uh, I was busy time. watching Sudden Death. I should have probably... <laughs> Both of those movies have merits for different reasons. Yeah. Um, but your great grandmother, that's awesome. finished his career here. Yeah. Pittsburgh, so... Uh, but yeah, that was a great, uh, you know, for, for those who don't know, Tiger Stadium was a, a double decked yep. affair all the way enclosed. And you can hit it out of the stadium. Big stadium, yeah. you know, and it, the, the, uh, overhang of, of the upper deck behind home plate, I think was magical too. Yeah. Because you were actually closer to home plate in the upper deck mm -hmm. than you were in the lower deck. And then imagine the press box area right underhanging that. So literally, 
you're 50 feet from home plate at most, wow. and you can hear conversations going on. Wow. So um, I got it just to, uh, t toward the tail end of the ballpark. I got to be an intern and, you know, be in the booth a little bit here and there. And it was just, man, that was really a really cool place for baseball. I'm sad it's gone, but it embodied Detroit. Like you said, the pipe showed and it showed all the rust. Yeah. But there was something cool and, and, and prideful about it. I just got to Comerica for the first time this summer, too. Also lovely, and I think it, it's preserved a lot of that, but, I mean, it can never... You can do kind of old. You can only do old in one way, though, so it was interesting. Um, so you come out of MSU, and is it your goal? Okay, I'm going to be a major league broadcaster the same way I'm going to make the big leagues as a player. That's definitely what your career ambition is? Yeah, I think after... After uh, certainly after a year or two in the minor leagues, that's I, I, I confirmed. What was your first stop? In the Charleston, league. South Carolina. I was there for a year. I worked for Mike Veck. Nice city. Oh, so that's how you ended up at St. Paul. Too. Yes, yes. Uh, I was so. I mean, I went to the baseball winter meetings in '99 in uh, Anaheim, and I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I really. This is upon advice of Jack Edwards, who does the uh, Boston Bruins. Oh, gee, how'd you meet Jack Edwards? I wrote him a letter. When I was 13, yeah. and just said, I like watching you on SportsCenter. And he took a huge interest in me. Um, I, I, Ernie Harwell and Jack Edwards, that's pretty Oh, good. this is the beginning of the story. This Holy is, it's all luck. I mean, I, I'm only here because of so much oh, I mean, luck. That, but it's, all of us are the same. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I had no inroads. I had no, you know. Edwards took an interest in you. Huge and interest. And he shit on the Habs every two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. No, no. I get that that's yeah. his role, but he really, like, is the biggest homer of all the homers. Oh, yeah. It's I don't mean that unabashedly that so. Unabashedly yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he was doing SportsCenter at that time, and I wrote letters to all the my favorite SportsCenter anchors, and he... I mean, I got, you know, a nice photo and a nice note from a lot of people. Yeah. But he, I mean, you know, he was telling me all sorts of things, you know, broadcasting-wise. Uh, tough times around my family at that time. And he was a, a counselor for me in, in wow. a lot of ways, too. So um, so he was a huge reason why. I mean, he's the one that told me, hey, go to the winter meetings. Yeah. I was 21 years old. I was working uh, in Jackson, Michigan, sm a tiny town south of Lansing, as a writing preps part-time. Mm -hmm. And... I said, I don't, I don't want to be a newspaper. I don't like the future of newspaper. I don't think it's, you know. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. I'm like, why are they giving away everything for free online? This doesn't make sense. You're right. <laughs> yeah. And why, why can you pay me all this money? Right? You know, I mean, they were paying me pretty good money to be a part-time employee. I'm like, this isn't that up. Plus, I like baseball. So I just want to do, and I wanted to do major league baseball. I said, no one cares about anything else. That was, you know, it was kind of selfish sure, of yeah. me. But I, I was like, I want to do something that people care about, including me. Yeah. So... Uh, but I knew it was going to take time, and, and uh, it turns out I really loved minor league baseball. So uh, professional baseball was cool, and I, you know, I could learn so much from all the different coaches and 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 the guys playing the game, and and the guys that were coaching were you know recently retired guys, guys I had baseball cards of, and mm -hmm. I just could only imagine meeting, and uh, you know uh, the the River Dogs, the Charleston River Dogs were a Rays affiliate at that time, Devil Rays, I guess. Yeah. Wade Boggs was a roving instructor for Holy the Devil Holy moly. So one of the first days on the job, you know, Wade Boggs is there and he's, you know, coming in to check out their hitters like Josh Hamilton and Carl oh, Crawford gosh, on yeah. that team. And I'm thinking to myself, <coughs> wow, I can't wait to ask him about chicken, you know, <laughs> you know, because he would eat chicken every day before yeah. the game. So uh, I got an interview with him. I'm just thinking, this is the coolest thing in the world. So I, you know, I wanted to to do that for a living. And uh, the other thing I, t I have to tell you about is, mm -hmm. so it was, it was such a cool situation because 
Um, I worked for Mike Vec, who was so it's is so innovative. Obviously, the son of Bill Vec, the Hall of Fame. Yes, Vec is Hall of Fame. Wonderful, right? Yeah, Disco so Demolition. They they don't they don't play that one, but so many other things. Fireworks exploding. Uh, the Eddie Goodell thing. So many neat. Vec, weird Vec believed in free agency in the fifties. He's like there should be free agency. He wanted to integrate before other people wanted to integrate. He was not only from cool a business stuff. standpoint. Yeah. He could make the ethics of the situation in business work in all the best ways that they do now. That now the game is obviously integrated in free agency and all that yeah. stuff. He just could see things that nobody else could see. Yeah. And so you speak of that. Yeah. The, the, the analyst for that, I was the intern, so I would do uh -huh. the pre and post game show for a class A team uh, in the South Atlantic. Okay. <laughs> Try to get calls for that, right? You know, oh, yeah. But, uh, the analyst is Don Wardlow, who was born without eyes. So a guy named Jim Lucas and Don Wardlow were the broadcast team for Mike oh. Beck. And so my job, uh, you know, the, the, the way that they tantalized me to, to come work there for $250 a month uh -huh. was that you'll get eight games of play-by-play, -play and you do the pre and post, and that's how you get your broadcast. Okay. So meanwhile, you do a bunch of other, you know, stuff, odds and ends around the ballpark yeah, yeah. all day, every day. And so my first game doing professional baseball, I worked with Don Wardlow, who was blind. He never had seen anything in his whole life. So... Talk about a great indoctrination on how to do radio. Yeah. Our whole audience is blind, right? Everybody that you're broadcasting to can't see what's going on. Right. And so if I didn't move up the runner, I remember Hank Blaylock, like, doubled Blaylock. for the Savannah Sand Nats that night. He Joey Gallo before Joey Gallo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Gallo's better. So he, you know, he like doubled and uh, I forget the runner moved up to third, but I didn't say that. And so Don goes, I say, Joe, uh, where's the, you know, where's the runner? Yeah, Did yeah. He score or is he at third? You have to tell him because oh, he can't uh, see. Oh, he moved up to third and, you know, because I got so excited I got to call a double or whatever, you know. And that was a huge oh. help working with Don because it was like, Right away, I got the feedback I needed. You know, it was before Twitter notifications. You know, it was like, okay, here it is. You know, here, I need to be doing this. So that was my first year in pro baseball. And I'm thinking, I've got to, to do this. And so that, that set me on my way. Friends, let's welcome a new sponsor to the Jonah Carey Podcast. It is Me Undies. You want to look good in your underwear, but also feel comfortable, right? Perfect balance is hard to find. You can't sacrifice style. You can't sacrifice comfort. Well, here's the thing, MeUndies.com. You can find the best pair of underwear in the world. It's the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own, made from a sustainably sourced, naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton. They measured this. They got Venn diagrams. They got regression analysis. They put it all out there. They figured it all out. It's great. Underwear for men, underwear for women, whatever you're looking for. 100% satisfaction guarantee. MeUndies guarantees that you will love your underwear, your undies, or your money back. Right now, MeUndies has an exclusive offer just for listeners of the Jonah Carey Podcast. You can get 20% off of your first pair plus free shipping with the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Here's how it works. To get 20% off, free shipping, and the 100% satisfaction guarantee for the best and softest underwear you will ever own, go to MeUndies.com. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S.com slash J-K-P in Joan and Carey podcast. That's MeUndies.com slash JKP. It's a limited time offer. So what are you waiting for? Start wearing the best underwear of your life. MeUndies, they're fantastic. MeUndies.com slash JKP. Thank you to MeUndies for sponsoring the podcast. Did you ever read, I think it was Josh Lewin. Josh Lewin, right? The announcer? Yeah. He did a book about the winter meetings, about job seats. Yes. Yes. So good. I was interviewed for that book. I Were don't think you? I made the book, though. Okay. Yeah. 
Was so he went to that winter meetings? The one well, I was on a. It was still one of my first ones. It wasn't that. Yeah, first yeah, yeah. One, Maybe he did an interview there, but I didn't meet him there. But it was one of the maybe two thousand two or three. I was I was still you know kind of looking for jobs. But for people yeah. feeling their way around, I, I wonder if you can give them an idea of the ill-fitting suits and the nerves. And you don't know anybody. This is before. There's no Twitter. You don't know anything. It just seems like you're flying blind. The best job you can get it seems like it's sweeping the grounds in North Dakota or whatever. Like it's just got to be. The fact that you are a major league broadcaster, the fact that anybody becomes a major league <laughs> broadcaster is insane to me. It's yeah. like saying, oh, you're going to be Mike Trout. Like, it's just the, the the things that you have to go through at the beginning, especially at the winter meeting, seem just impossible to me. I mean, I, I think I worked hard, but I think there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of people that work very, very hard and harder sure. than I do. And I think there are a lot of people that are as talented or more talented than mm. me that are working in the minor leagues or have given up and have gone home years and years ago over the generations. So I don't think I'm special in that regard. I do think circumstances help play a factor. Yeah. You know, for instance, I interviewed in you know, that year. I interviewed for four or five different jobs. The one job I get offered is Charleston. I get to work for Mike Beck, etc. You know, uh, that I, I work with Don Wardlow and Jim Lucas. Uh, that was great. The person that interviewed me for that job, his name is Dave Raymond. Dave Raymond called the Astros now for seven years, and he's doing Texas he's Rangers saying, TV. Name, yeah. So, I mean, he was their broadcaster, and he ended up moving on. Um, before the season started. So that's why I worked with Jim and Don and not, uh, not Dave. But I met Dave because of that interview. So he's the one that actually recommended me getting hired. So I don't know this, but I end up meeting another future Major League broadcaster that day. You know, so, I mean, and, and, and Jack Edwards thing, like I just told yeah. you about, or Ernie, or, you know, I finally get to work in, in the major leagues as a play-by-play guy. I sit next to Bob Uecker for four years. You know, hmm. I mean, I, I work as a, a post-game guy, in L.A., Vin Scully, you know. And, you and, might be forced to Yeah, it's really <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, you know, so. That's great. It's great. Uh, so the, my exposure to so many great baseball people, you know, whether it's broadcasters, coaches, players, whatever, I mean, that's, I think, the biggest reason why I've been able to make it because I've, I've been around so many people that could teach me, you know, and, and help me. I so. want to circle back with Vec for one second. Um, I mean, I guess you didn't meet his father or whatever either. Yeah. But based on what we know about Bill, how was Mike similar? Like you said that he's a visionary and so forth. Yeah. I sort of heard that from a distance, but never like hands-on for somebody who worked both in Charleston and in St. Paul. Yeah, not not um, not really knowing the whole situation. But I think in this day and age or even in the you know 2000s or whatever, it's so much more difficult for him to be able to do the things that Bilvac was able to do, I right. think, because, well, Bilvac, first of all, he owned the minor league Milwaukee Brewers, mm-hmm. and then he was able to own the St. Louis Browns Major League Club. Mike Vec's trying to own, now he owns some independent teams um, that can really do so much more, and then the affiliated teams like Charleston uh, were under so many more um, restrictions. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the promotions that take place, you know, that are standard, that were standard in the minor leagues and now are pretty standard in the major leagues, uh, you know, he or his group of, of people that have worked for him have come up with amazing. So, I mean, you know, and they're all standard to these days. And I, and I feel bad for not being able to mention seven or eight of them because yeah. now they, they I suspect like bobbleheads came but, on at some point. He's probably involved. Yeah, in that, bringing back so much of that stuff, yeah. you know. Um, so it's just, uh, but he he still had the same uh, when I was able to work with him. The, the same idea, like, why not? You know, this is crazy. Why not do it? Yeah. And no fear if it gets, you know, t- terrible 
you know, reviews. Uh, you know, if it if it's an awful idea, you know, uh, he would rather try it than say, you know what, maybe it's not going to be a good idea, and 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 go for it. So, and a lot, and almost all the time, it's hilarious, and people are talking about it, and it it draws attention, but. But it's not because he wants attention. It's not because he's trying to make an extra buck, per se. It's because he loves the game of baseball and just wants everybody to have fun. Hmm. Remember fun? You know, so that's that's kind of his MO. I would assume some of, well, I don't know about the taking extreme risks as you're really trying to make your way, but I would hope that maybe the fun part would rub off on you a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember it was maybe my second month there, and, you know, being a kind of media relations intern yeah. type guy, he said, all right, let's write some press releases for me, you know, for these promotions coming up later on in the season, and also pitch some promotions and things like that. So um, I had some ideas, and uh, I remember one of the things I proposed, this is in 2000, was Pride Night, you know, and, and think about how... 2000? Yeah. Holy now, moly. It didn't, didn't, didn't click, for instance, but Good you know, now that's something that major league teams do and, and, and all sports teams do, and, and I'm glad that they do. Right. But I was thinking, like, for instance, like, you know, I was just trying to think of anything, but I remember, like, should I put this in my pitch of different things uh -huh. to do? And I was so nervous because, I mean, I've been on the job for six weeks. I don't that's know how this is going to be. Either. You're not a promotion guy. Yeah, I don't, you know, but, but those were the kind of things where, where he said, you know, maybe we're, you know, he considered it, you know, and said, you know, maybe not this year, but uh, but it wasn't, it was just whatever, you know, but it was considered and it was thought about. And, and I think they eventually, uh, did it well beyond the curve too. So, hmm. um, and that enabled me to go, you know what, I can just, I can start being myself. I can start taking risks in that That's regard great. and just do what I think is the right thing. And if it's not the right thing, someone's going to tell me, you know, don't butt myself up and, and so I try to still do that to this day. You know, people don't like my style. People love my style. People are so-so about my style. It doesn't matter. It's, you know, I just try to be myself and and let the chips fall where they may. So well, that seems like a good very lesson. Ernie Harwellian lesson, too, <laughs> I would imagine, right? I mean, yeah. just kind of figuring out your own voice. Yeah. So if I'm not mistaken, the first time that you called a major league game was for which franchise? The Montreal Expos. That's for the Montreal Expos. <laughs> because there's no way that I would do a podcast with anybody without there being any, some sort of to connection to the Montreal Expos. So how did that... That's not true. But how did that come to be? How, because I know that the circumstances were unique and there was a lot of turnover. But you got your break. You finally this got called major league where game. the good luck comes in. So I, uh, me and uh, this guy named Jim Toko... Uh, who had, who, he worked in Charleston the year before as the intern. So Toko and I stayed in touch through the years. Well, we met up in Charleston, West Virginia, where he was working. I was driving back home from Charleston, South Carolina, and I said, oh, let's sit down and let's have something to eat. So we ate at a Shoney's there, and I had liver and onions. I remember it, you know, because... I haven't had liver and onions in a while. I, I get the hankering it's about once every five years, you know, you want to eat liver yeah. and onions. So I ate liver and onions that day. Yeah. Must have rejuvenated the brain or something because uh -huh. we came up with an idea. This is 2001. Yeah. Uh, let's create a website for broadcast, like play-by-play -play news um, and just, you know, and see where that goes. So everybody, could, we could share all the news. Because there were kind of some sites, but everyone charged money. And it's we, still pretty early then. We didn't like that. We didn't like that. We just said, no, we'll just spread the news because having gone through the winter meetings, it was very difficult to find out this information, and you had to pay so much money, and no one had any money. And so we just thought it would be good. Well, one of the, the things that helped us about it, which we didn't kind of go into it doing, but, well, everyone tells us the job news once it starts gaining in a little bit of popularity. So... Uh, within the industry. So 
now we know about the jobs right away. We were not unscrupulous. We would still post the job, but we would still know about it. So we would you apply can call for it. first if you want to. Or yeah, like. but we would just we post it, yeah. and then we'd call a minute later. You know, sure, yeah. <laughs> so, fine. but you know, it wasn't about who was first; it was about who was best. You of know, course. for all these jobs. So, so that was our, our you know, thing. So, uh, Elliot Price, uh, who was great to see him by the way, because uh, he just moved to Toronto. So uh, he did. A pirate He's doing very well. Playing in Toronto. He's a lovely guy. Yes. So it was great to finally see him again. It had been over a decade. Oh wow! But he was doing the English broadcast of of the Expos, mm-hmm. and uh, when baseball bought the Expos, they took. Uh, Mark Griffin off the road so for the uh, last couple of seasons there. So he was working <clears throat> solo on the road, and his pitch was, hey, um, can I just have a, some guys that do professional baseball, minor league b- baseball, sit in with me, you know, in the cities or near the cities that yep. I'm calling and uh, and work the game? Uh, yeah, you sure can, but we're not going to pay him anything. Um, okay, well, let me run out some feelers. So that website, you know, hey, can I put this – Add on the website, of course, go for it. Um, and everybody wanted to sign up. You know, free big league games, great. You know, we don't have to pay you. Okay, great. You know, that, that's fantastic. It's tricky because you value your work too. I mean, you're a professional, but by the same token, this is it. This is the I'm shot. I'm 25. I'm, yeah. I'm like, this is it. You know, it's just yeah. my first year in Double A doing Double A yeah. games. Yeah. Uh, I said, this is. I need to. I need to know what this is all about. So he offered me a series in Atlanta. Plus, you get to call Peter Bergeron. Oh, it was great! Cow. Yeah, yeah. I think I had more Tomooka starts than Tomooka you know, than anybody. Oh but, man, those uh, are some great. interesting. Teams, I got a Javi Vasquez start. Vasquez there. was good. I still have Vlad Vidra. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the first year, the yeah. three V's were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was it was still pretty anyway. good in 03. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, I got to work a three game series, and then the next year, I did the Atlanta series, and then I got also the Miami series too. Mm. But it was moved to Chicago. Uh, for Hurricane Ivan, so I drove to Chicago from Jacksonville wow. to do the series because I didn't want to give up the games. So, and then after so, two games, it was moved back to Miami. I said I can't make it back <laughs> for the next day in my car, so I just stayed up and went back home to Detroit. But uh, so I got a few games, and uh, it was a great experience because now I had a little taste of what it was like. And I go, and it's on your reel and all that. Yeah, so that was helpful. And I go, I think I can do this. I, I don't think I'm as good as what I'm hearing. But I think I can do this eventually, and I, you know, kept working at it, and eventually, I get to do it. It's great. In that role, you're doing kind of color and play-by-play because it's you and Elliot, right? So it's not you're not Bob Walk, but you're not you're sort of handling yeah. everything. I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some uh, dual play-by-play teams still on radio. Yeah, yeah. Baseball. The Giants they, guys are sort of like that. Yeah, they kind of just. You know, it doesn't really guy, matter who's who. Yeah, just kind of chimes in every now and then. And, Second set of eyes on a, on something or whatever, but yeah. you know I wasn't certainly uh, what was the stat du jour at that time? Vorp, probably. I was you know yeah. I wasn't you know trying to interject the the, the Vorp of, of Jose Vidro or got to do it, Tramel Sledge or whoever was Tramel on that Sledge. team. Yeah. Oh, um, so you go <laughs> on that path, and then you continue in the minors. And was it Milwaukee was the first break? Yeah, uh, sort of. I mean. Uh, so here's another goofy story. I mean, Please. this is all the we luck. We got time. The luck. The luck. I it's really. I mean, really. We all have luck. I um that same website. Uh, someone put an ad on for the New Orleans Hornets that used to be. Uh-huh. They're the Pelicans now, uh, for doing radio pre and post game. And I had just, um, okay, I got back up a year. Mm-hmm. So this is 06 now. I've been doing this for seven years now. I'm in Jacksonville. Uh, this is my fourth year in Jacksonville, and I started doing a talk show. So I could actually make some money, yeah, and sell my own advertising that whole bit. 
down in Jacksonville. Well, um, they built like a 50,000-watt station from the ground up, which it's only time since 1983 anywhere in this country that's happened, by the way. Really? Terrestrial radio. Jackson. Let's invest in it. Wow. Well, in like 2006, like, uh, iPads, something. Go get a time yeah, machine yeah. and try it then. But I was like, okay, there's a lot of investors, yeah, so yeah. I'm going to jump in on it. So I sold my show to the station. They hired <laughs> me on. And I couldn't sell any advertising because they, they moved my time slot to 7 to 9 p.m. at night. Oh. Couldn't sell any advertising. I, like, I, I think I literally sold zero. So after a few months, they said, you know, you're not bringing in any money. We're going to cut your salary in half. I said, all right, I don't really want to even do this anyway. And someone put on the, that same website, Great Falls wants a, needs a broadcaster. You know, Pioneer League, right? I had a buddy that called a season in, Pine, in Idaho Falls one year. I said, what do you think about it? He goes, I loved it. It's gorgeous up there. you got to go. And I've always had this, like, you know, fascination about seeing all 50 states. And so many of those states I, I never think I would ever see, right? So, so I went up there. You know, I quit my job the next day and uh, drove up the next day. And you know, That's a drive. And, uh, yeah. I was, well, it took five days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just from Montana. Yeah, yeah I, I, like, just got there in time for the season. But, uh but it was great, and and you know I, I started hiking for the first time. I never did that before. Yeah. You know, growing up in an urban environment, you, you know, hike to school. You know, that's it. Um, so uh, really neat, and and just so wonderful. And the people there were yeah. so nice, and and I loved it. I said, this is this is really really cool, that's and um, so that really hooked me into you know staying in baseball, and then. I was going to go back to Jacksonville because, you know, season's over. I have nothing to do. Mm. I don't have a job in Jacksonville. I exhausted my time with a minor league baseball team there, too. And I'm thinking, what do I do? So on my drive back, I actually, there was a post for the New Orleans Hornets radio pre and post. And I said, well, this is a sign. Okay. And uh, so I ended up uh, taking a job there. So I, I go back to Jacksonville, basically pack up and, and go out to New Orleans. Had so, you done much basketball to that point? Uh, no. I was... Uh, Wholly unqualified to work in the NBA. But, it's funny because yeah. there's some really good baseball. Yeah. You know, Shiambi, Showman, uh, O'Brien. There's these baseball bat, uh, Sean McDonough, my God. Yeah. Like, they're really good at both. For some reason, you wouldn't think the rhythms would work, but I guess it does in some cases. Yeah, for me, I mean, I always was a fan of the NBA. So yeah, I, yeah. I knew I at least had a working knowledge. I did need to bone up quite a bit. But yeah. uh, uh, the only player I knew was Mo Pete on the team at Mo the time. Pete. I was like, oh, we got Chris Paul on that team, too. Oh, I've got a Mo Pete story that I can't tell, good. but anyway. Well, this will be done. I went to school with Mo, so I, okay, I, I, cool. Yeah, um, but uh, so so you know, I, I end up working there. I end up meeting my wife there um, because uh, she was a, a nurse at the recovery hospital there post Katrina. Uh, she had moved down a couple wow. years after Katrina. Yeah. Uh, she started doing service work there when she was in college, a few months after the storm down there. Far more virtuous than my reason for moving to New Orleans. I'm like, I want to go. Oh, basketball games. Yeah. You know, so, uh, so I end up meeting her down there. We end up getting engaged in New Orleans, and so I spent uh, almost four seasons there. And I said almost four seasons because literally the week that I proposed to her, uh, it's great. We're gonna ha- we're starting to think about a New Orleans wedding. Da, 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 da. We're actually celebrating with my roommate and uh, her fiance, and there's there's a call that I get from the Dodgers. Now, I had interviewed for or auditioned for a job for the Dodgers a couple of years before that, but I was not in contact with the Dodgers for anything. Yeah. I didn't know there was any open. And uh, I got a call that said, hey, you want to do the radio postgame show for the Dodgers? You know, this is uh, 
this is late January, you know. Yeah, you got to make a decision. Uh, yeah, they said, you know, can you let us know in the next 24 hours? And I'm at dinner right now celebrating with my fiance wow. now. We're, we're getting married. We're going to live here in New Orleans. And I was like, I have to wait until the end of dinner to ask her if I can yeah. do this. Yeah. So we ended up, you know, being apart, physically apart for, uh, we were already living apart because she moved back here to Pittsburgh for a while. Um, so it ended up being 16 months we're apart. We come back. Uh, we get married here in Pittsburgh. We drive out to L.A., and we're starting our married life. We go on our honeymoon. We come back, and I worked a year for the Dodgers. And then uh, they switched flagships, and I lost my job with the Dodgers. Oh. So then, within a month, the Brewers, uh, I did apply for that job. They didn't call me out of clear blue okay. sky. Uh, they hired me to do play-by-play. So, like, within, like, the same week of proposing, I end up getting the job, you know, you know, with the Dodgers, which was my big break in Major League Baseball that I had been looking for. But it was not play-by-play yet, but I was still very excited. And then I lost that job. And then in that same month, my poor wife, who I had just married and moved all the way 3,000 miles from her home here in Pittsburgh, we ended up getting a job in Milwaukee. We, we loved it there, and it's created so many memories. So it's unbelievable well, stories. Sorry, I kept No, no, that. good. It's good. That's a lot of stuff. No, but I was going to ask you, because, <laughs> like, that life... Maybe a little less so later on because New Orleans is a few years and so forth. But and maybe everybody's twenties are meant to be uh, go from here to yeah. here. It's not a big deal. But how would one even maintain a serious relationship? Oh, I gotta go to Great Falls tomorrow. Oh, I'm going to Jacksonville. Like it's just impossible. There's no permanence to it. I can't even. It's not even just relationships, friends. You know, yeah. it's just it's also disposable. You have to really want it professionally to say, my life is going to be chaos in my 20s, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I worked in Billings, too, by the way, for some Oh, there you uh, go. After, a lot of Montana. Yeah, after I was dating my wife now. So, I mean, it's, you know, but... Uh, That's you know, hard. Yeah. For both of you. Yeah, I mean, looking back now, thinking about it, yeah, I mean, I was, I was just lamenting the other day um, because we're, we're here, we have we have family, yeah. um, but I, I was thinking, I don't really have a lot of friends outside of the people I work with. You know, I, I really love the people I work with, which is cool. But I don't really have a lot of friends. And I was thinking, maybe I should get some friends. You know, <laughs> I would love to have a poker game. You know, yeah, like, right, you something, know, something like that, or play some pickup basketball every now and then, that kind of thing. That'll, that'll and, be. and and that has been my whole adult life to this point. You know, now we have a, fa- you know, we we're, we have a a kid and one coming and, and, and we're, you know, family oriented and, and that's great, but there is that need for Still want friends, some friends and, you know, yeah. things like that. And, and, and so I, I just, it just had occurred to me the other day, in fact, that it's like, Oh yeah, I need to do that whole thing again where <laughs> I'm got to go find friends, which is harder to do when you're a dad, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I'm not out, you know, we don't live in the city like we've lived in before. Right. Kind of well, not so everybody that's, that's wants to challenge. do the whole, I'm going to make friends with the other parent who also has a kid that's two. You know, you yeah. know maybe you want to make friends with people who have nothing to do yeah. with your profession or your station in life. It's just, and might, that may or may not be available. Yeah. So I, so I don't know. But yeah, I, I guess that is a challenge, but uh, it's, it's worth uh, the trade uh, for sure. Because I, I work with my friends here. I really do. I've, I've yeah. made, you know, as you know. Baseball is kind of a, a close knit group. It is, um, and so I see a lot of people that I really enjoy. You know, the visiting teams that, that come in, and our group that you know, our our broadcast group is is fantastic. Mm-hmm. We're all very close, and we hang out on the road together and things. And so, um, so I I don't feel like it. I, I don't have that kind of stuff, but it is something that you definitely 
sacrifice. Because I have friends, I have friends all over the country now. But not where you live. But not where I live. Yeah, it's like, oh great, I could go to Montana and we could. Oh, it'd be great to catch up with Kyle or you know yeah, whatever. We're but, totally going to Montana. Tomorrow. You know, right? But I mean, you know, everybody's all spread out, so that's that's the tough part. Friends, football is back, which means that fantasy football. Guess what? Also back. FanDuel is the place to satisfy your Jones for fantasy football. It's great. It's fantasy football for everyday fans. New contests start every week. No busted seasons. Something for everyone. Many, many contests to choose from, and they start at literally a buck. So you want to dip your toe in and see what it's like? You can totally do that. You want to get more involved? You can do that too. Whatever suits you. You pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score real time. More than 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Here's how it works. You want to sign up, you go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use the promo code Jonah, J-O-N-A-H. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with more than $1 million, $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com, that's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, sign up with a promo code Jonah, and get started. Thank you to FanDuel for sponsoring the podcast. All right, hit me with the euchre stories. We, we need give me oh, one yeah. good euchre story. Okay, Kansas City first year. Yes. Uh, so I'm learning the ropes about how this all works because everybody wants to talk to euchre, you know. And if you if he were to engage with everybody that wanted to talk to him for the length that they wanted to talk to him, <laughs> he would literally be talking to people. His entire life, yeah. and never, you know, have time to go to the bathroom or anything. You know? He'd never so, get to be on Mr. Belvedere. Right, right. he would never, problem. you know, George Owens would never have existed, and Kevin would have burnt that steak. And <laughs> damn it, Kevin, uh, yeah. get it together, ah, Kevin. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, uh, so I was under, I was beginning to understand this, and his longtime engineer Kent Sommerfeld's been there over thirty years. Well, he's kind of the gatekeeper because he knows he knows the ropes, he knows who's in and who's not. Well, in Kansas City, the radio booth there. It's kind of an interesting setup. There's a very narrow kind of walkway behind the, the radio engineer, and then there's a set of steps down, and then far below it is where uh, the announcers sit. And there's So it's a really kind of thin way to get down there. So whoever, I feel a tap on my shoulder, whoever came in got past Kent because Kent could very easily have have warded them off at the literal pass. gatekeeper. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He could just, you know, mom arm, you know, yeah. you know <laughs> keep, keep it from going through. Ends up coming down, and this is, you know, middle of the inning. And so I, I'll take my headset off because Uke's calling the, the action. And, and I turn around, and I didn't immediately place who this was. And, and so now I'm thinking, okay, he's made it past Kent, so he's got to be somebody important. Somebody that Uke wants to talk to. Now, now, somebody important doesn't necessarily mean a celebrity. It could be like someone he golfs with. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, it could be someone Relative, who's worked whatever. in Kansas City back when they were in an American sure. League team uh, that runs the elevator. <laughs> Uke talks to everybody. I mean, he really is the man of the people, which is so fun to The solo introduced me to him, and learn. I was just blown away by how <laughs> gracious and awesome he was. It's, it's so yeah. neat. Like, I, I didn't know. I didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I'm learning who he is, you know, my first year there. So, um, so he comes out, and, and, and so he's older but not old. Um, He's got kind of black and scraggly hair, and it, you know, but it, he looks a little disheveled. But but like, there's an air of, you know, importance, but not certainly no uppityness yeah, yeah. whatsoever. And I'm thinking, I go, who is this? And so now the ending, the final out is made, 
And I did. I, I just said, you know, hold on a second. The inning's about to end, or something like that. That's all I had said to him. And then Yuke takes his headset off. He goes, "Hey, Al, come over here." Al, I still don't know who this is. Who is this person? And he's like, "Coop, I want you to meet, you know, Joe Block. He's my new partner yeah. this year." Al Coop. Alice Cooper. It's Alice oh! Cooper. This is Alice Cooper right in front of me. You That's kind of where I thought you might be going. Yeah. But like, even when you said Al Coop, I'm like, what? Yeah. So, Cecil Cooper. Thinking, yeah, yeah, right. So yeah. you know, none of the anything done up. You know, he's just uh. as is. And so the and and he goes, oh, nice to meet you. You know, uh, great. You know, you know, make me feel important. I, I was like, wow, this is so nice. I'm yeah. like, look who's here right now. Who I'm sitting next to. So. Uh, and he goes, hey, he's from Detroit, too. Oh. And, and, and so he goes, what do you, uh, I, I ask this all the time. This is Alice Cooper talking. He goes, he goes, what do you think about the Colavito Keene trade? We're talking about batting champ for home run champ. Yeah, yeah. Detroit, a little before Cleveland, your time, but yeah. 1959-60, whatever the, the trade was. And I was able to discuss it with some intelligence. And we were discussing the merits of it. And I said, well, you know, Detroit, a home run ballpark. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I, I, can, I can see that. Plus, they had K-Line. You know, now you've got, you know, he's like, I thought they made a mistake. You know, and if, like, so we were arguing the, you know, wow. in a friendly, yeah, yeah. jovial way, arguing yeah. the sides of the, the Keen Calavito trade in, in 2012 in Kansas City. Unbelievable. You know, and, and I just thought that was the craziest thing to be able to, you know, meet him. And then... Before you know it, Kent's in our ear, uh, get back on the air, you know, it's the, it's the yeah, next yeah. half inning. And Euchre would always, you know, uh, if you listen to Brewer's broadcast, they play music on purpose when they come back from break because there are times where he's not going to be on headset right yeah. away because he's, he's having a great conversation that's way better than the, you know, sixth inning of... You know, a game in August or whatever. You need to bring Al Coop on the air. Right. To talk so, about Call of Duty. So, so the, you know, the music keeps trailing, trailing, trailing until, you know, it finally runs out and then, you know, you relents and, and comes back on the air because it was his. <coughs> that was the kind of stuff that happened. It was commonplace where it was just, you would not know who was going to, George Brett, by the way, came by the next inning. But it was like, you know, you would not know who was around the corner, whether it was someone really famous or so. Uh, there's, there's a guy in Milwaukee who owns, his name is Harvey Moy. He owns a Chinese food restaurant. He comes in there once a year. I happened to be there uh, last week uh, when the Pirates were playing there. And he brings in this, I mean, it would, this room that we're sitting in, it would, you know, a 15 by 15 room. And he would fill it with Chinese food and oh. delicious food. Yeah. And he is one of the most interesting people to, to talk to. He's cool. just, uh, he, he talks about food. He talks about baseball. He talks about uh, politics. Yeah. And he's really neat to talk to. And, and, but no one knows who Harvey Moy is yeah, yeah. outside of you know Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, and people that really like Chinese food in that area. But, but he's Uke's guy. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. So it, it, that kind of happenstance would would you know it could be Bud Selig would come in or Hank Aaron or something. Yeah, or, you know, whatever. Jeez, Louise, but, Hank Aaron. Oh, right, you know, or it could be Harvey Moy, who is as cool as anyone. Yeah. So, so that was the neatest thing about sitting, uh, you know, on his side for four years and and work with him because, you know. Well, not the neatest thing, but one of the neatest things. The neatest thing was just learning from them, you know, how to entertain. That's great. Nothing. I mean, do you do you find yourself evolving over the years? Obviously, you've now been settled in as a major league broadcaster yeah. for a while. Do you think you're very different now than you were in 13 or 14? Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm a little bit more comfortable with, with who I am. Uh, yeah. I think what, what you helped me do is bring out my own personality, not be afraid to use that on the air as yeah. much. Because sitting next to him, you, you certainly don't want to be... You know, trying to make jokes and 
and things right. like that. But so you don't I, want to be a shrinking violet either. Right. So I would engage with them. I'd try to, we'd have a conversation. And, and I thought, once I learned that, I thought it was, it was great because we would just talk ball or have, you know, have, he would just entertain us. And I would just keep asking questions because I want, want to hear what the next layer was going to be, you know, uh, kind of thing. But when I, when I, when I came here to Pittsburgh, I was, I think I was able to just go, all right, you know, I'm going to, you know, just do my thing and, and be me and, 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 but take pieces of, you know, everyone I've worked with or around or have learned from and, and just, you know, those, those things that I've learned kind of bring those parts of me out. So it's cool. Absolutely. <laughs> you want to be you, and obviously you want to also do your job and get listeners and so forth. It's an interesting thing, and I've talked to other broadcasters about this, because on the one hand, I think that all of us have a lot of nostalgia in us, and baseball history, you can't help it, and that can be valuable too. And on the other hand, maybe these things aren't even mutually exclusive, but for this sport to survive and thrive, for your profession to survive and thrive, you have to get 20-year-olds interested. You have to get 10-year-olds interested. Yeah. Are you cognizant of that? Are you thinking about, I mean, I know you're not literally thinking, okay, this 19-year-old needs to be listening to this game, but are there ways where you can court a newer generation and make them love the game the way that you love the game? I, I, think, uh, um, I think that's a challenge. And I think, you know, Rob Manfred right now, the, the commissioner of baseball, is trying to do some things in that direction. Uh, you know, as an announcer, we're the voices of the game for people. It really falls a lot upon us. The actual gameplay, of course. Yeah. I mean, but uh, so much of how baseball is spoken about starts with us. Mm -hmm. So I do feel, you know, a, a tremendous responsibility, and and it can be challenging. I mean, uh, you know, if you're broadcasting for a team that's not in the race or not playing very well or whatever, um, you have to find other ways to entertain. But um, Ernie Harwell always said the game stands on its own, and we just uh, saw earlier this season the Pirates have played in a game where. They were being. Uh, they didn't have a base runner until the ninth inning. It was a perfect game against them. So it's kind of exciting, but it's also kind of lousy. Yeah. Then there was a no hitter through nine innings, and then the, the opposing pitcher, Rich Hill of the Dodgers, came out and started the tenth with a no no hitter in a nothing nothing game. Yeah. So he still doesn't have a no hitter, uh, you know. And then Josh Harrison leads off on a two one pitch and hits a home run. The only time that's ever happened in the history of baseball. Only time to lose a no hitter on a walk off. So and you were there. You called that. Yeah. Game. So you know, you think about that, and and the team sliding. They're playing the best team that we've seen in fifteen years yeah. in the Dodgers. And you come to the ballpark that day, and you go, oh, I, you know, you can't think, oh, this team doesn't have a chance, or you know, they'll be lucky to win or anything. No, you think. Well, what am I going to see today? And, and a lot of times, it's a pretty pedestrian yeah. circumstance. But there are even little things within each game that can kind of be cool and interesting or remind you of something that happened a little bit ago or a long time ago or bring up a, a vivid story that you know maybe one of the analysts has that night. So those are the things I think, without consciously thinking, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell the game to a 20-year-old, but... I just really love baseball, and everyone I sit next to really loves baseball. And so we talk about baseball with a lot of enthusiasm, and I think that helps. But I, the one thing I do do, I think, for, like, say, the 10-year-old out there is uh, I try to explain some things that aren't the most rudimentary yeah. thing about the game just to go, you know, maybe I'm 
you know, teaching something or, or, or ask the analyst to explain something a little bit so that they can clue them in on it. Because you ever listen to, like, sports talk and, like, they've got their inside jokes and, and, and you haven't been listening for a yep. couple months and you're like, what are they talking about with this? And then you feel excluded and then you, it turns you off. I want people to feel like they're, they're part of the game. I like that a lot. And you could do that without feeling like you're talking down to the segment of the population that does yeah. know about the squeeze player or whatever. Yeah, just kind of work it in and then kind of move on. and Yeah, so... Yeah, because, I mean, look, we all fell in love with the game as kids. And so kids better keep falling in love with the game, you know. And they always will, I think. Uh, a couple more. I want to ask you about Andrew McCutcheon. Because, you know, growing up, and I'm not, uh, what I, I think that today's game is as good or better than any other game. It's not for me at all. This is good and this is bad. But in terms of player mobility, even though free agency existed in the 80s or whatever, it wasn't quite as dramatic as it is Collusion. now. People are thinking about service time. <laughs> right. Pre-arb, i got to trade him already, you yeah. know what I mean? And McCutcheon is an institution here. Yeah. And he's not quite as good as he was in his MVP year. He's still a pretty good ball player. And there are ties to the community. And I think about a guy like Pujols, who left. You know, and he would have been, his statue would have been next to Musials. Maybe it still will be. What is the connection of McCutcheon to the city? Because I see from the outside, and it seems to me to be this thing that's not usual, that you don't have, first of all, this many players staying this long period. You don't have this many guys playing on a team that, when he first came up, there were not very many other good players. And he wears the game on his sleeve, and by all accounts seems to be a good dude. And he's coming up on free agency pretty soon. And there's this dilemma that goes beyond he's a three-war player, I think. Oh, sure, yeah. So what 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 do you see from your perch in terms of McCutcheon in the city that maybe we wouldn't get from outside and just say, yeah, he's got a year left of service time and you could trade him for this prospects and whatever? He, he married a girl from Dubois, uh, where my brother-in-law's from, so I had to give nice. the town a little mention. It's about two hours north of here. Uh, so Maria is from basically the area. Um, they're expecting their first in December. Um going through a very similar circumstance of, you know, starting a family and believing that you're not going to be at home, you know, that's daunting because you think about wanting to have your kids grow up around family. Yeah. Well, you know, he's from Florida, but she's from here, and, and you know, the wife always, it, it, you know, more deferral to them. I, sure. I think that makes sense. It's just the, it, it's the right thing to do, in my opinion, but it feels natural to do. So... Uh, I mean, for instance, his walk-up walk -up song is Maria, Maria. You know, I mean, he loves his wife. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he uh, emulates Jackie Robinson, to not, you know, adopts his cap. Uh, High socks. Yeah, when he hits a home run or whatever for his wife. So um, he's he's a good husband, and he's going to be a good dad. Yeah. Um, so, so you break it down to the very elementary level of that, and this feels like home to him. It, it's It's been his home. Bradenton, the spring training home, is... One of the nearest places to where he grew up. He was drafted in high school, so this is uh, 12 years, 13 years in the organization, something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, yeah. That's in 05, I think. Yeah, so, yeah 13th year in the, in the system. Yeah. Um, there, is a, there is a value to that that he appreciates. Not every guy, right, the three word player, or whatever you want to call it, you know, loves the city that they're in. They, they want yeah, to you should have or, mobility. You want to leave, leave. Right, or, or you know, whatever. You know, I don't like this or whatever, you know. Okay. But he truly loves it here. And he has put in um, so much into the community. He is, uh, and, and that's such a, a blanket phrase, but I mean, like, he does things that aren't, there's no, there are no cameras, you know, yeah. uh, and these things take place with regularity. Um, he 
he genuinely cares. And that is unusual, um, especially for the guy who hasn't gotten the big, big, I'm going to be here till I'm 38 thing. I, I, you can see with the guys that, you know, let's say, I don't know Joe Maurer, but, you know, Joe Maurer grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota, oh, yeah. part of the Twin Cities. He signed with the Twins basically for the rest of his working yeah. days. Well, why wouldn't he be invested? Of course, you know, he's from there and he's signed for life. You know, uh, Kutch is not signed for life here and he's not from here, but this is home. And so I think that's what, what is an interesting quandary. You know, the Pirates have to look at it, obviously, from a you know, business standpoint. Especially but there's a small revenue team. Can they afford to give this guy a big contract? There is a value to that. You know, I there, think so. There is a value to that. But can they afford it? Will they want to afford it? Uh, would Kutch do the hometown discount thing? Can they meet somewhere? By all accounts so far, no. Uh, it doesn't even look imminent from what we hear, you know, in reports. And he already reports. signed one big contract, long contract. Yeah, fairly, yeah. Some of it bought out his arbitration years, but he also gave up some free agency for, to do that. Absolutely. So, so I don't think there's an easy answer. I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, you know, at, at the very least, um, at the very least, he'll always be remembered for taking a franchise that had lost forever to reigniting the fan base. Uh, to being one of the game's great charismatic stars, um, you know, and one of the best ball players that have ever played here in Pittsburgh. And there are some great ball players, but many of whom uh, have been gone a long time. Yes, <laughs> and so people forget that. So you know, um, but pops, <coughs> you know, right there on your shirt, you know. So, um, but maybe, maybe he won't be remembered for just that. Maybe there'll be a lot more. Uh, the nostalgist in me, the romantic in me, sure hope so. I, I like that idea. I like the idea that Joey Votto signed forever in Cincinnati yeah. and that he has no desire to leave Cincinnati even though they're not a good team. Right. Great. Um, so one last question, which I do at the end of every podcast. I know that you listen to the podcast, so maybe I'm not putting you on the spot as much as somebody who'd be like, what are you talking yeah. about? What do you want from Something me? about a burrito. A burrito. Yes, that's my former <laughs> boss. I can't keep track. There's a lot of bosses. Um, I'm just kidding. I always ask the guests for a life tip, a nugget of wisdom, something that's very them, something that's very Joe. Uh, you've offered a lot of wisdom in this podcast, which I appreciate very much. But if you've got one in particular that stands out to you, and it does not need to be super serious or righteous or anything like that, or it can be, whatever you, uh, whatever strikes your fancy. The, the thing that comes to me is not something I'm great at yet, but I've been working on. So it's not very Joe, but I'm trying to make it very Joe. Okay. And, and some people might say it is me, but... Uh, it, it doesn't take any extra effort to be nice. So, yes. you know, so if, if, if you have the opportunity to be nice, just, you know, let that person in in front of you. Uh, I mean, unless your wife is delivering the baby or whatever or in the car, <laughs> you know, just, 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 just remember that and, and try to just do, you don't have to go out of your way even. Just if you have, if you could just be nice or not be nice, just be nice. Be nice. I think it makes a difference. I actually, for me personally, that, that's true and important and, and sweet and all that stuff. It actually pains me to get angry. I, whatever person I'm yelling at or whatever, I feel 700 times worse afterwards for like a month on the smallest little transaction or whatever. I, I just, I actually, whether or not I'm a nice person, I don't understand how somebody could go through life and always be mean. And I don't mean like I don't understand it like, oh, for the point of society. I mean, I don't understand how it would work internally. I would just lose my mind. I don't. I couldn't do it. I don't. I don't think I'm the nicest guy, but I just. I struggle when I get angry at somebody, yeah. or when I'm. I just like it's. Uh, I'm like no, please. My wife would tell you that it's 
not angry, but like yeah. just be not as nice as I could be. Like, well, I didn't sleep last night, so a little cranky or whatever. It's like, no, just just don't be cranky. Just be nice. So I'm. That's like kind of my 2017 uh, amendment, I guess. It's good. I think that it has some lasting impact. Uh, I'm excited to watch the Pirates tonight at this at this lovely, lovely ballpark. I am. Uh, excited to have been on this podcast. I've been an avid listener for years. And You're a swell guy. Now Jim I get Block. to skip an episode. I already, <laughs> I already heard it. Uh, listen, uh, I, I would not have had you on had you not been a Montreal Expos broadcast. No, that's not true at all. <laughs> it's uh, half true. It's uh, half true. But uh, you're a peach, and thank you for this. I really appreciate it.